forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. I'm Alison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I'm so very close to being done with the first draft of my new book. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and my dog is here today. (laughs) You're almost done? As of yesterday, I finished the first draft of the last chapter. I still just have to write the conclusion, and then I also have to, like, make some edits to the chapters because... I interview a bunch of people, and so I have to, like, send them the chapters so they can say, hey, distincts, or hey, I love this, no notes. And this is and this is your uh, retelling of the Harry Potter story through the eyes of the ghost? Yeah, this is a, <laughs> this is a kind of a sci-fi <laughs> meets apocalyptic, you sure, know, sure. Uh, scientific journal but that I've been writing. But it's gender bent. <laughs> yeah, very gender bending. <laughs> Time time bending as well. Um, <laughs> What's it called? Quick. Um, it's called Ooh Spooky. <laughs> Ooh Spooky, a time bending, gender bending, sci-fi apocalyptic <laughs> novel by Allison Raskin. Filled with interviews about the realities of marriage. The person who <laughs> drew the kitty bags poster, if you wouldn't mind drawing the uh, this book by Allison, I would really appreciate it. <laughs> Um, it's so wild to be so close to the end. If I pull this off, then I'll have written the whole first draft of the book in four months. Oh my God. Because the interviews took so fucking long and I had knee surgery. Right. And so between all that, I only had four months to actually write the damn thing. Yeah. And, um, and I, I said, well, here we go. You have to just start. You just got to do it. Oh my God. What's it called? I do. I think. Yeah. How to handle the uncertainty of marriage. Love it. Yeah. Thank God I got engaged during it because otherwise it really would have been kind of, I kept being like, hello, we need this plot point, John. Or also also that people would be like, who is she to give advice? Well, that's a whole part of it. Right, right, right. Well, it's not you giving advice. You're reporting other people's advice. I think it's an investigation of modern marriage is how I would like to, to frame the book. Who should I give it to as a gift? Your mother, the divorce lawyer. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's wild. The stories in this book are like, my mom keeps being like, are these people lying to you? No. Because they're so interesting. And I'm like, and they're so wild. I'm like, I don't, I don't think they're lying to me. And my mom's like, but how could this be true? And I'm like, well, people's lives are, are you know, roller coaster. <laughs> that, that is a, a selling point for the book. If you're interested in other people's gossip. I mean, it's so like, honestly, like reading the book, I'm like, oh, I wish I could just. Like, because there's other, like, I interview all these experts and there's, like, mm-hmm. great takeaways. But there's something about how fun it has been to just, like, retell people's life stories. Mm-hmm. Where I'm, like, I want my next book to just be that. Where I just, yes. like, interview people about, like, wild stuff that's happened to them. And then I kind of, like, distill it into, like, a coherent narrative. Your next book should be, like, not your problem. Stories of other people's gossip. <laughs> Not my problem story of other people's struggle. Yeah. <laughs> That's that, kind of brilliant. Thank you. I would, um, I'll co-write that with you. <laughs> we don't do well when we co-write. I know. Our which, relationship's gotten exponentially better since we've stopped trying to do that. Each chapter would be us arguing and then the person reading would just be like, not my problem. Yeah. <laughs> 
This is Just Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. Oh my God. Okay, so you guys love our our animal episodes. This and is an episode this for, the, for the ages. We have cats with Dr. Kristen Vitale. Cats, 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 cats. 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 We're learning all about cats, why people love them, what they think think we are I mean we just asked every question you could possibly ask about cats and I'm so excited it's so fun and later we're gonna be discussing Christmas content and why do people like it so much okay wow two Jews really two, well I figured topics we got Melissa's point of view yeah we're bringing well, in Melissa for the Christmas Christian part. diversity <laughs> finally a Christian's voice on the radio <laughs> Jesus. I mean, Jews have been control of the media for a long time. Don't you so. can't say that because <laughs> Kanye is making people think that that's real. <laughs> OK, but if the Jews controlled the media, why aren't I more successful? That's a great question. Yeah, exactly. But first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means. Hit it. International question. International question. International question. Anonymous. England. Cheerio. Can't help yourself. Can you? <laughs> A spot of tea. You know what I've been doing? I've been watching Love Island UK. Oh. Um, and the way they talk is incredible. Wow. Yeah. Got a bit of chat. It's got good chat. He's a bit of me. Okay. I'm going to get to the show. <laughs> Proper fit. <laughs> okay. Anonymous writes, Hi, I'm 22 from England. I don't know where to start, so I'll just dive in. My mother is so annoying. <laughs> I don't know why. Anything she does, everything she says, I find so irritating down to my bones that I often, usually daily, have to literally leave the room or even the house if she's in there with me because I don't want to hurt her feelings by telling her she's annoying. I know I'm being completely irrational because anyone else can act the same way slash ask me the things she does and I don't have the same response. I have a vague idea that I find her presence so annoying because I have some deep resentment from my teenage years towards her. I won't go into it all because that would take all day. Nothing too horrible, but over the years I started to hate her for just generally being pretty selfish. Anyway, I moved away for uni for four years and I had totally forgotten about all this resentment. My mom started guilt tripping me into moving home and making me feel bad for not visiting often enough. I moved back home three months ago, not because of the guilt tripping. I was just genuinely missing being around my family. And gradually, I felt myself regress back to the mindset I had years ago before I moved out. I've never spoken to her about how I felt during my teenagehood. And I knew it would crush her to think she caused me to feel like this, especially because I know she had a hard relationship with her own mom growing up. And I think she would hate the idea that she has caused the same type of relationship between me and her. I can't help but think the only thing I can do is to save up and get the fuck out of the house. I know when I'm not living with her, I love spending time with her. The past three months, I have barely spoken to her simply because I can't stand being in the same house as her 24-7. I'm still young and it makes me sad to think that maybe for the rest of my life, my relationship with my mom will be in small bite-sized chunks of time because anything more than 24 hours and I want to literally rip my hair out if I even hear her breathe near me. <laughs> I really feel like I can't work through my resentment because I hate upsetting her and I know she would be so distraught if she knew I felt like this. I just wanted to pick your brains on the matter because none of my fun because none of my friends feel this way about their own moms so I'm starting to think I'm just a horrible daughter. One, you're not a horrible daughter. Two, our, people in our family annoy us so much more than anyone else because we are around them for so long and because we grew up in a house where as kids, we didn't have 
Like as a kid, you don't have the ability to leave the room. You don't have the ability to go somewhere else. So you're stuck with this person. And that can build, you know, as Taylor Swift said, familiarity breeds contempt. And (laughs) she's not the first person to say that. And so I think like a lot of times um, things that we've noticed from being around the person so much irritate us that other people wouldn't even notice or that we wouldn't notice about someone that we're not with all the time. Also, I want to say that, yes, because you've been around them for so long, because you spent so much time with her, like, of course, you will have resentments from when you were a teenager, especially if your parent is, God forbid, not perfect. I think that it's very rare for a parent to have been perfect. I think most of us will say that we've probably grown up in homes where one or more parents were less than ideal for what we needed growing up. I think like there's a lot of parenting techniques now that would have been laughable when (laughs) people like us were getting, you know, raised. I think maybe the toddlers of tomorrow are uh, on better paths, but depending. But yeah, this is this seems I mean, I don't know. I feel like this seems normal to me. I, too, have a mom who I think would take it extremely personally if I said that I had resentments from being a teenager. Very similarly, because she had a complicated relationship with her mother, it's kind of uh, extremely common for that to sort of be passed down through the generations. Like nobody, you know, like nobody is immune to generational trauma or to growing up in a household a certain way and then replicating that household. Like it's very hard to not do that. So I, I almost, I don't think it's a bad thing to have a relationship where you just hang out with your mom for chunks of time. I don't think that's bad. I think that's being an adult in some ways. I think that like you go, you grow up, you save up, you move out of the house, depending on your culture, but it seems like for you, that would be ideal. And then you spend time with her for the amount of time that you want to spend with her. And I don't think you have to feel guilty for that. Seeing your mom in chunks of time is like, I don't think unhealthy. Like, I think it's perfectly healthy. Yeah, I have a bunch of different thoughts that are that are touch on different components of this. And and the first thing I want to say is like, and I don't necessarily know if this applies to you, but there's an expectation that we have to be that we have to like our parents that I think is actually like really harmful. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of parents are bad parents and they don't deserve to be liked by their children. And just by having them doesn't mean that the children, like children do not owe their parents anything, whereas Correct. parents owe their children many things because the parents have chosen to have the child. When parents are like, I put a roof over your head. It's like, thanks yeah, for doing the bare minimum. Right. Like you agree. That was the, that was the, the contingency of you having a child, <laughs> uh, which was a choice that you made. So. Right. I mean, obviously, given abortion access, that gets complicated. But like to hold that over their head right, is exactly. wrong. Um, OK, so first of all, I don't know if that's your case, but there there I think I, I know of people who grew up feeling really bad that they didn't feel the way towards their parents that they were told that they should. Yeah. And so I was actually talking to a friend about this like just yesterday and like this sense of like, well, what's wrong with me? I must be a bad person. I must be just like so like irritable like why but it's like oh no actually you're having a logical reaction to the way that your parents treat you mm-hmm. and that reaction is not a positive one based on how they're treating you mm-hmm. so just kind of releasing yourself from the idea that like you quote unquote should like your parents mm-hmm. like the parents just need to act a certain way to get that from mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. again I don't know if that applies to your situation I also think that this is the kind of stuff that can really benefit from being worked out in therapy 
I get that like when you were away at uni, like it was easy to kind of forget about it. But if there's stuff that you still feel is affecting you from your teenage years, like that is like the juice of like what you can work out with the therapist Mm -hmm. and like see a new perspective on and potentially view your mom in a way that like makes it so it is more tolerable to be around her or all of those things. Um, So if if therapy is a possibility for you, I really think going in with the mindset of like, I want to work through my side of my relationship with my mom can Mm -hmm. be really helpful. And then there's also an age component to this where when I was 22, I was irritated much easily, if that makes sense. Like I just like things would impact me more and it kind of has to deal with like emotional regulation. And I wouldn't like think that right now because your mom after 24 hours irritates you to the point where you can't be around her that that will be necessarily true for you when you're 35 yes true not because your mom has changed so much but because maybe you have changed and your threshold for what irritates you will change absolutely you know so like i actually feel like there's like a lot of hope there and just like in how you respond to her i don't think will necessarily be as heightened as it is right now especially if you're able to do that work with a therapist Mm -hmm. to kind of like work on your feelings towards her and process what happened instead of it all just kind of being like bubbling underneath the surface i think as you get older too you learn better boundaries uh you learn i mean i grew like more empathy for my parents, but also like more distance, which has been good. Also, like you remember stuff like there's that, you know, tweet that I wish I could find that was like, that's like, of course, you're like the mom being like, I don't remember that. And it's like, of course, you don't remember that. For me, it was a trauma that stuck for you. It was a Tuesday. Like you remembering how these things affected you doesn't make you a horrible daughter. They were real to you. They happen to you and like whatever you're kind of downplaying saying, oh, they weren't that bad, but like it's still something that affected you and you're interacting with the person who caused it, which is like hard for me as my dad's an alcoholic and, um, you know, he's a different person today, but like, you know, I don't know that I'm expected to be like, oh, well, that's a, you know, that's not the same person who did this, which like in some ways it's not, but in some ways it is. Mm -hmm. So can I say something? I think it's it's a weird expectation that you should be best friends with your mom. (laughs) It's a weird expectation. Like you to feel guilty that you don't want to spend all your time with her. It's like, like, Oh, would it be so weird if I only wanted to spend little chunks of time for the rest of my life? I don't think that's weird. Yeah. I think there are many different forms of parental child relationships and we're only ever given very few where it's like total estrangement or best friends. And there's like so much in between there that like each individual person needs to like work through like what works for them. And moms have this weird expectation that the kids should be like obsessed with them and be like that the kids should be like their best friend. But I like, don't think all moms have some that. do. And 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 sometimes like I see comments on TikToks where like it'll be like parenting TikToks where the kid like loves them so much. And people will be like, I hope my daughter's like this, which like, OK, but like sometimes they're, you're you're not their friend. You're a mom. And like the mom is like that relationship is sometimes annoying. Yeah, I think that's normal. You don't have to be the fucking Gilmore girls. <laughs> Well, we hope that helped. If you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's just between us, P-O-D at gmail.com. 
Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Dr. Kristen Vitale. So stay tuned. Just between us, it's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all of podcasting, Tough Questions. This week on the show, we have Kristen Vitale, who is a researcher and educator in animal behavior, animal welfare, and human-animal interaction. She's an expert in cat behavior, cat social cognition, and the human-cat relationship. Yes! (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I was saying this before, but I watched a documentary on Netflix about cats and you were in it. And I was like, okay, we have to have you on the show because we were, it was all about like cat behavior. So first of all, can you start, what is your story? What has your, how does your journey with cats begin? Well, I always loved animals, especially cats. I grew up with cats and I just knew if I could find a path in my life where I could work with cats, that's what I wanted to do. But it wasn't, really clear to me how to do that when I was younger. Uh, Like, you know, being going to vet school or something was kind of like, oh, that might be a path I could do. But then I ended up going for my undergraduate in zoology and met a professor who actually does what I do now. Um, She studied cat-human interactions and taught about animal behavior. And it was one of those things, like once I saw that that was a potential job opportunity, I just went with it and continued on that path. And I've been studying cat behavior ever since. So as a historical dog person, I don't have a lot of experience with cats because I grew up like my dad was deathly allergic to them, like kind of grew up thinking that they were a little scary. And it's only been in like the last, I'd say probably like two years, maybe that I'm like, oh, cats. Like I just (laughs) like, I now like feel very intrigued by them. And there's um a stray cat that now I, I actually touched recently. Wow. This is, I was meaning to tell you, it's been a big update in my life. I guess like, I just like, what are things people get wrong about cats who don't like know them or the bad PR around them? Oh, I think some of those things you've touched on are really prevalent. The idea that cats are kind of mean or they don't like people or they're aloof. All of these ideas wrapped around, you know, cats are not social individuals or they don't prefer social interactions. But actually, the more that we're seeing research come out on cat behavior, it's actually the exact opposite of that. We're seeing that social interactions and relationships are actually very important for cats. And it's actually something that they prefer even over other really, uh, you know, pleasant rewards such as food or toys. They're often still choosing to interact with people socially. (laughs) it's sweet it's very sweet (laughs) is it true that they learned how to meow to get humans attention and they don't meow to each other that's one of those things that gets passed around that I'm not totally sold on there actually hasn't been a research study looking at exactly that and we know that when kittens are young and with their mother they meow to their mother and to their litter mates it's a way that they communicate their needs And so it's likely that because domestic cats kind of continue to live in the state of dependence with their people, that the meowing is kind of extended past kittenhood into adulthood and um, then rewarded by the owner. So, you know, if the cat's meowing for attention, then they get pet. They learn, hey, when I meow, I get something. I get pet or I get food. And so it's very much something that 
it's continuing on from when they were young, but it is definitely rewarded by the owner and continues because of those rewards. What do cats see people as? Because you're <laughs> saying like they, oh, they'll get pets, they'll get rewards. Like people have this idea that dogs are just unconditionally loving. But like, what do what do cats see us as? So in, in our work, we're really seeing that the cat human bond is really similar to the dog human bond in in a lot of ways. So we see that both dogs and cats see their owner as a source of comfort and security. So if they're stressed out or unsure, the majority of dogs and cats will run to their owner, they'll get reassurance, and then they'll be able to calm down and kind of keep going. And so it's very much kind of this caregiver offspring relationship that has kind of been modified for being a pet in a human household. If you think about it, humans take care of cats and dogs very much like they would a baby. They they provide all the medical needs. They provide shelter. They provide food. They provide social attention. So it's very much a caregiving relationship. And I think that the cat then probably sees their owner very much in a sense as they would their mother when they were kittens. So how did we trick them? How did we domesticate them? How did we get <laughs> them from whatever they were to like our little pets? So we actually really don't know how cats became domesticated. It's the same story with dogs. It happened so long ago that the process wasn't documented. However, it is likely a combination of cats showing up around human settlements because there's food, food there for them to exploit. There's grain, there's mice running around. Um, so it's likely cats kind of just started showing up and hunting around human settlements. But it's also likely that humans had some role in selecting which cats they wanted to stick around. So shooing away cats they didn't like or feeding cats they did like um, to continue living around the settlements. And some of that's seen in some of the coloring. So some people believe the like black and white tuxedo with the white paws, that might be something that humans actually selected for because we liked that coat coloration. So <laughs> it was likely a mix of both kind of the cats kind of domesticating themselves with humans kind of selecting some of the traits they wanted as well. Why did we like them? We I'm were just, they're so cute. Were we just like, oh, it's hard to know. But I think from our reactions as modern people, it's very much that. <laughs> like we thought they were cute. Maybe they had good personalities. And, you know, with, with people today, there are some human benefits of interacting with cats. So you can see physiological changes as well. So I think that there's just kind of that component to the human-animal bond that draws us to other animals. I'm curious about feral cats, right? Because I feel like there isn't the same thing with dogs where it's like, oh, some dogs are good on the streets and that's what they want to be doing. It's always like if you see a stray dog, try to bring it mm -hmm. inside and get it a home. Whereas like with cats, some cats, you're like, no, I'm supposed to let it live out here and do its own thing. Like so like what is the difference there between a feral cat and a domesticated cat? And is it as big of a difference as maybe we think there is? Also, people on the Internet are PO'd. My uh, we have a a, a feral cat. He's not feral, but he lives outside. And uh, people on TikTok were furious mm. that we let him live outside. Mm -hmm. So please speak to this. <laughs> so um, I do want to clarify feral can be used in different ways, even within um, the scientific discipline. Different people will use the term differently. But feral often means that it's actually a domesticated cat. So genetically, they're domesticated 
but they have not received proper socialization to people. So they haven't learned that people are something not to be feared, that they're safe to approach. They haven't learned proper social behaviors to interact with them. So they become extremely fearful and very, very different behaviorally from a socialized domestic cat. And because um, feral cats have not been socialized to people, they most often are living outside, obviously away from people to not have that experience. So technically, they are domesticated cats that just have lacked that life experience of getting used to people. And it's actually the same in dogs. Dogs also can become feral if they've not been socialized early on in their lives. So both dogs and cats aren't really born, you know, being okay with people. They still need that life experience. When we see cats cats outside, like an outdoor cat that doesn't have a home, like it should is is that good for them? Like are they doing okay or do we want to try to to domesticate them and, and find them a home? Like I always I don't know what to do. Yeah. So and, and sorry, that actually brought up one other thing about your statement about dogs. I think it's very um very much dependent on the country. So here in the US, what you said is very true. We see a dog outside. It's like, where is the owner? Let's let's find its home. But a cat is definitely more tolerated. But across the world, actually free ranging dogs are very, very common. They can also be known as village dogs and they can live in feral states as well. So there's actually not a big difference between dogs and cats. It's more about the culture and how the culture treats the animals. And then I will say as far as cats living outside, I come from a background where I've worked with feral and free roaming cats that live outdoors. But it's controversial because it is something that can impact their health. They can get hit by cars. They can get, you know, predated on. Um, They can cause damage to native wildlife. So that's probably why you're getting pushback about cats living outside. (laughs) Um, And I can imagine uh, something I see a lot. But I think it's a really complex issue. And there's just not a good answer because... You know, these some of these cats have lived outside their whole lives and might not take right. well to be moved into a into a household environment. Is there? Oh, s- he does not want to yeah. be indoors. Right. So <laughs> we've brought him indoors. He freaks out. Right. Yeah. And I've had that same thing with feral cats before. They're not comfortable in an indoor environment. So I think we're just not at that point to know what to do with these cats yet, because for their welfare, maybe it is good for them to stay living outdoors But is there a way we could maybe contain them like in a huge enclosure or something? We just don't know. We don't know what the best answer is yet. But typically, if you have a pet cat, you want to stop them from free roaming because of those issues. But I will say that doesn't mean you should never let your cat outside because for their welfare, being outdoors is important that they get to engage in normal behavior, smell, sense, you know, be in the sun. But there are safe ways to let your cat be outdoors without being free roaming. So again, just a really complex Mm -hmm. issue that there's a lot going into that. Is it true that their poop makes us like them? (laughs) So um, I'm I'm more specialist on behavior, so I can't comment too much on that. Um, But it is definitely something that I have seen popping up that there are things in their um, poop that that can cause that in people, can cause them to really love cats. So I don't know too Brain much. Brainworms. Yes, exactly. I don't know too much to speak on that. But So in terms of safe ways to let cats be outside, I, I feel like we're seeing more of like cats in harnesses <laughs> that are like going yeah. on hikes, on, on leashes. Like, is that something that they genuinely enjoy? Oh, it, so just like people, it totally depends on the cat. 
but very much so. Specific cats really enjoy that. I used to teach kitten training and socialization classes. And we had owners who were taking their cats out on hikes. I had an owner who taught their cat to sit and stay in a kayak and they'll go to the beach and kayak. And there's cats all over Instagram now too, you know, that are swimming, mountain climbing. So it's, again, it kind of comes back to how is a human perceiving the cat and treating the cat. And that's very much going to impact the cat's behavior as well. Are there different quirks for different species? For different breeds of cats or? Breeds, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm <laughs> I'm not a scientist. Yeah, no worries. I just play one on TV. Yeah. Um, so there, it's actually been something that you'll hear a lot, like, oh, Maine Coons are gentle giants and things like that, like specific traits for specific breeds. I'm not saying those don't exist, but within the science of it, it hasn't been well studied. And most of the research that does exist is how humans are perceiving the cat. So do humans perceive a difference between Persians and Maine Coons? Um, so uh, actually looking at the behavior of the breeds is something that we haven't done a lot of at this point. Is that because we've humanized them? Like we've given them human traits in our minds? It, it could be. And that's why we need more research. It could be that humans are accurately saying that these are the behavioral traits of these breeds. Or it could be like what you're saying, we're just perceiving differences based on our interactions or what we think of how they look, or it could be any number of things. As you've done all of this research and throughout your career, like what have been the most interesting things for you to learn about cats? I think really the biggest thing is this flexible social behavior they have because growing up, I always heard this idea like cats are solitary animals. And so social interaction is not super important for them. But the more that we're seeing, we're seeing that they're actually, it's known as facultatively social, which means that they display flexibility in social living. So cats definitely can live off by themselves solitarily, but they can also live in highly social groups with other cats. Like there are some groups in of cats living on Japanese islands that, you know, hundreds of individuals living together in this like fish, fishing village. So cats wow. really just show this gradient of social living that I think is really interesting. They have the ability to be highly social and, you know, highly asocial as well. So it really depends on the cat, their upbringing, um, and the experiences that they've had. Do they hate dogs? It, dep <laughs> it depends. really depends on the cat. It's the same kind of thing, like I mentioned before, about socialization. If a cat has never experienced being around a dog, then they don't know that this is something not to be afraid of. They don't know how to interact with it. So if you plan to get a cat and a dog, I recommend doing those together or especially you could get a kitten and a puppy so they can grow up together and learn about each other as they're growing. Are there big differences between the sex of cats? Like do female cats interact differently with humans than male cats? I feel like I've heard that male cats are more friendly. Is that just another kind of just like wives tale that's not super based in reality? <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I've heard that as well. And in some of my just personal experience, I, I feel like that might be true, especially like maybe males doing better with other cats um, more so than females doing better with other cats. But there's not, again, a lot of research on this. And in my own work, we looked at the sociability of um, kittens and we found that there was no significant difference between the sex of the kitten. So males and females were equally likely to either be highly social or not. Um, it really, again, just depends on the individual cat. So uh, I think, again, that's one of those things that's 
as we're doing research, that might be true in some situations, but not not all. And if you had never had a cat, let's say, and somehow you convinced your fiance and your family that you were allowed to get a cat in a in a hypothetical world. Uh huh. How would you create a good bond with that cat? I was going to say, what are the tricks? <laughs> yeah, like how do you make it so that the cat likes you and feels comfortable around you? Because I, I, I have a feeling I, my instinct would be to come on too strong. <laughs> yeah. Are you trying to take in the stray? I, I'm not allowed to. <laughs> too bad. <laughs> I know. I've we've that, we've taken in ours. Yeah, um, three of my four cats were all just like, cats that we took in so it definitely happens oh, um wow. isn't that the thing that it's a, it's like you don't get a cat a cat gets you yeah. <laughs> totally totally a cat and decides when it's your cat that's like been my experience most of my life like growing up we would just have cats show up at the house and then I would like secretly feed them and my parents would be like why are these cats still here like I don't know and then months go by they're still here and we end up just bringing them in so that's always been my experience Okay, so what are the tips and tricks? So as I mentioned earlier, really this relationship is very much like a caregiving relationship, both from the person's perspective, but also the cat's perspective. They're looking at you as a source of hopefully comfort and security. So in, or in order to nurture that, um, one thing is your pet parenting style, as it's been kind of termed in dogs, is something that you should be emotionally receptive to your cat. So if your cat is coming to you and um, seems to need attention, maybe don't shoo them away every single time if you're working, you know, allow them to come to you and get attention when they need it. Another big thing is looking at cat body language. So especially if you've never had a cat before, learning what the different body language indicators and behaviors that would indicate stress or confidence, those that's really important because then you can kind of alter your interactions based on how your cat's responding. So if you're trying to approach a cat and they're, you know, putting their ears flat against their head, their pupils are dilated, their tail's twitching fast, those are all signs like, hey, this cat needs space. And if you were to continue interacting, that could be something the cat learns like, hey, you don't read my body signals. I don't like that. So all of these together, really just being receptive to your cat um, and, and paying attention to them and listening to them. Come on, too strong is so funny. <laughs> I know that I would. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I find it difficult to read animals' body language, even though I'm such an animal lover. I have two dogs. Like I, especially with my first dog, like I cannot read what she wants ever. Because I'm sort of like under the assumption, like if she doesn't want this, she'd leave. But then sometimes I'm like, it seems like she doesn't want this. <laughs> so it's like, you know, like I wonder like what are some, because I, I feel like with dogs, it's like, okay, if their tail's wagging, even though there's, I know there's different versions of tail wagging, but like, what are some signs that cats are really into it and happy? Is it, is it the purring? Is that the main one? Yeah. Purring for sure. Um, can be a vocalization. Also trilling. It's kind of, I don't know if I could do it like, like a purr meow. Mm -hmm. That's like a really friendly vocalization. Um, also the cat's tail position. So it being straight up is a sign that the cat's confident and feeling social so if your cat's walking up to you with an upright tail, that's probably meaning, <laughs> hey, I'm coming to you for some attention. Look at me. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's like kind of like cat strut too, like the confidence. But yeah, like same kind of thing, like open body language. The cat's not like a tight little ball. It's, you know, mm -hmm. uh, if a cat's laying and exposing its belly, that's showing the cat feels <laughs> safe with you because, you know, we've got a lot of 
vital organs right there. Also behaviors such as like aloe rubbing, which is where the cat like rubs part of their body against you. That's another behavior that's common, like when greeting an owner or when just feeling happy and seeking attention. Is it giving you its scent? Like, why is it rubbing against you and why does the cat rub against the door frame and stuff? Yeah, so um, those are kind of two behaviors, but kind of similar. So when it's rubbing on a social partner, it's known as aloe rubbing. But when it's rubbing on an object, it's known as object rubbing. And the function is slightly different. So in object rubbing, it is thought the cat's depositing um, their scent or their pheromones in locations. And it's likely they also do this during aloe rubbing. But in aloe rubbing, it's more about creating a social bond. So it's something that's done between individuals with a relationship, a friendly relationship. And it's probably likely there's some kind of exchange of scent, not only them putting their scent on you, but maybe some of your scent, you know, rubbing off on them as well. But again, we haven't researched it to know, like, if scent is actually being passed back and forth in aloe rubbing, it's kind of another question. Um, But it's definitely a sign the cat is feeling probably pretty good. Now, with that said, that it's so tricky with body language, because if a cat's really sick, they might purr because it's like a way to maybe self-soothe. Again, you kind of have to like look at the overall context of what's happening. Like if a cat's purring and rubbing and drooling on you, that's likely indicating they, they're they happy and relaxed. But if they're purring and their their body posture is all curled up and tight and their eyes are huge, that's a sign that purring is not because they're happy. So it gets a little muddy, but I think the more that you learn about body language and behavior, the easier it gets to read. Why do they bring us dead things? Oh, geez, yeah. So again, we don't really know the exact answer, but mother mother, uh, cats will bring their kittens dead prey or partially dead prey to allow their cats not only to see what kind of animals are the right animals to be predating on, But also, if they're only partially dead, then the kittens can kind of play with the the, um, prey and get experience handling it. So it's kind of been uh, proposed that cats are bringing us these rewards, almost like a mother would to their kittens. Now, I'm not so sure if that's the actual reason or not. That's something that's been proposed. But again, we just don't know like what the intent of the cat is to do that. If they're just like, hey, I'm trying to provide resources for the family as well. Or, hey, here's the gift. <laughs> oh we're just not sure. The outdoor cat that, that I take care of, Pinky, will leave. I'm so sorry to anyone listening. Just like the entrails and decapitation of mice. Just oh my God. everywhere. Apex predator style. And, and we're like is this a warning or a gift or what is this? Yeah, I would say probably more likely a gift than a warning. Um, I've noticed that too when I worked with like free ranging cats, you'll come to the colony. It's like, what the heck is that? It's like entrails, which again- Decapitated. Yeah, totally. Absolutely decapitated mouth. Totally, yep. I actually have kind of a funny story. We had a um, cat, I, I believe it was a cat, leave a- decapitated mouse like near our porch and we didn't know it was out there and we my husband and I ordered DoorDash and they (gasps) left the DoorDash right next to the decapitated mouse like I actually have a picture that they sent where the food was it shows like the mouse and entrails right next to it I'm like Ah! you couldn't have put the food like up on the the railing or something like away (laughs) from the dead mouse 
Anyway, yeah. So it happens. I assume it was a cat that did it. My mom's cat put a lizard, dead lizard in her pocketbook. Just in her purse. (laughs) My mom like was like on the floor. My mom opened it and was like, thanks, I guess. (laughs) I was like, she packed you a lunch. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. And we're back. I've always wondered how cats know how to use the litter box, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's like from the beginning, they're using the litter box, whereas like puppies, you have to like train train them them Mm -hmm. to be house trained. So why do they know how to do that? Well, I think for cats, it's very much a natural behavior to want to bury their waste. Um, Again, with scent, you know, if they're not burying it, then their scent's kind of out for everybody to smell. So it's just natural for them to want to find substrate to bury in. So it's, again, just something you don't have to teach them. If you provide the substrate in a location, they're just going to instinctively know, hey, this is where I go. Versus, uh, you know, dogs, they, they sometimes will dig to go to the bathroom a little bit, but it's not quite the same. So I think that it's just a little more training to have to teach them where to go to be able to go outside since they don't have like an indoor location the same way as cats can just mm-hmm. easily have access to. We have to teach dogs to request to go outside or have some kind of way of letting us know. Why do they do the kneading thing, the baking bread? So that's kind of another behavior that we think is carried over from kittenhood. So um, when they're kittens and they're nursing, we believe that they're kneading as not only a way to let their mother know that they're happy and content and they're getting food, but it's also possible that kneading like that stimulates the milk production. And then again, as they get older, that's kind of a behavior for them that has been associated with being relaxed and happy. So it kind of just continues into adulthood as an expression of that. Um, When they're relaxed or happy, they'll need. Now, are you allowed to wash your cat? (laughs) You totally can. Um, I mean, I've given my some of my cats baths. Like one time my cat got really sick and unfortunately had a bunch of poop all over her. So I needed to wash her. Um, But I wouldn't say it's like something you need to do all the time. Again, coming back to cat scent, you don't want to strip away a cat's scent off them because it can cause them to feel anxious and insecure. So I really say only bathe your cat if there's like a reason for it, like they got into something, you know, or they're, they're covered in something. But otherwise, you really shouldn't need to bathe them unless you maybe have a cat that has long hair and is getting mats a lot. Um, but yeah. typically, you don't need to bathe your cat. Because they, they're cleaning themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. They take care of it most of the time. And unless you have a, a long hair, you, they don't have to really get groomed unless they have long hair, right? Yeah. I mean, I, again, it kind of depends on the cat. Um, some cats might have like grease your fur or something. You might have to pay more attention to that. But in general, like if you just brush your cat every so often, that's probably all you need to do. What should I be feeding this stray cat so mm. that it grows to love me? So <laughs> in our work, we actually compared um, a few different items to see what cats most preferred. And again, it was really individual um, what cats liked. But overall, the favorite item of food was tuna and cooked chicken. So providing tuna or oh. cooked chicken is... Uh, seemingly the most preferred thing for many cats. But with that said, you don't want to give that to them like every day, especially tuna, you know, that's really high in sodium. So as like an occasional treat, but yeah, that's what we have found cats really like. Do they drink milk? 
that's another thing kind of that cats are associated with loving milk. And I think a lot of cats do like milk. But um, because, you know, kittens are really only having milk in kittenhood and they, they grow, it's not uncommon for them to become lactose intolerant because milk is kind of removed from their diet. So um, for a lot of cats, it's not actually very good for them to have milk and it can cause physical problems. So they actually make special milk, um, things like cat sip, which are milk that cats can digest. So if you're going to give your cat milk, make sure it's milk for cats. But some, some cats might be able to tolerate regular milk, but I wouldn't really suggest it. But again, that's, that's a vet question. Um, I know a little bit about it, but I'm not a nutritionist or anything. Every question I have is from cartoons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every single question. Does Garfield like lasagna? Yeah. 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 Do they t- chase Tweety Birds? Yeah. I have questions. Yeah. <laughs> How real is Tom and Jerry? Like... <laughs> oh, I guess my final my final question before we play the games is is like, do cats have one favorite person? <laughs> like, or are they more like they're like everyone's part of the family, or do they tend to have like a favorite? Yeah, or is that cat to cat? Yeah, again, so much of the stuff is cat to cat, and similarly in dogs, a lot of dog behavior is you know some dogs have their person, and some dogs love all people. And it's the same with cats. Uh, and again, it comes down to the cat's personality, how socialized they were. So if a cat never experienced being around strangers, then they're likely to be afraid of strangers as adults. So it's not so much, again, about like cats all being this way or dogs being that way. It's about the experiences we're giving our cats and then how that kind of shapes their behavior and response. A note from our producer, Melissa would like to know about catnip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Anything specific? What is what is it? Is it good for cats? Like, is, can they get addicted to catnip? Like, what's the deal? <laughs> yeah. So um, catnip is pretty interesting because it kind of can cause this euphoric state in cats where they kind of just get real relaxed, chill out, real pleasant experience. It doesn't work in all cats. Um, It's thought actually to be a genetic thing that some cats respond to catnip and others don't. But there's actually other compounds you can try if your cat doesn't respond to catnip. There's also something called silver vine, which is closely related. But often if cats don't respond to catnip, they'll respond to silver vine. But um, as far as I know, cats can't like don't get addicted to it the same way as some things for humans, but um, it seems to be a relatively safe thing to give your cat to just kind of enrich their life. Um, You know, put it on some toys, see how they respond, play with them and just, you know, a way to calm them down a little bit. Oh, and one other thing I do want to say, there was actually research that came out recently that showed there might actually be some properties to rolling around in catnip that keeps mosquitoes away. So there might actually be a benefit that when they roll around in the catnip, they're actually kind of coating themselves in mosquito repellent. So um, not only is it fun, there might also be a benefit. Wow. Do they eat catnip or they just roll around in it? They'll do both. Yeah, they'll do both. It again, depends on the cat, but my cats will both eat and roll around in it. (laughs) They love it. (laughs) So cute. I just love the idea of being given something to eat and you're like, let me first roll. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Would you like to play a very silly game show? Yep. Let's do it. Perfect. So this game is called Hypotheticals. You and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have and then you tell me what you would do in that situation. 
It's more like a thought experiment than a game, but sometimes I like to pick a winner. So our first one is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Your partner of 14 years comes across an ancient genie in an Ikea lamp. Oh, my God. And the genie says it will grant your partner three wishes. Your your partner's first wish is that they can hook up with their hot neighbor without anyone finding out or them ever feeling guilty about it. While they are hooking up with the hot neighbor, you walk in and find them because the genie isn't actually a genie, but a mischievous spirit that pretends to be a genie to fuck with people. (laughs) Would you stay with this cheater? No, I would leave. Yeah, I'm out of there. No. (laughs) Really? Tell me more. It's so convoluted. (laughs) And I just don't, I can't, like, I don't have time. Like, an Ikea lamp is a weird detail. Also, like, mischievous spirit. Also, like, the hot neighbor was into them the whole time. Like, I just, I, 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 I I can't. I gotta go. Yeah. I gotta go. There's also some weird consent issues about wishing to hook up with someone. Like, I really, I, I, and I walked in and I saw it. Yeah, I gotta go. (laughs) I'm totally on board with that answer. Basically what I'm thinking. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, any wish in the world for that to be your first wish. World world peace? Yeah. (laughs) Like, world peace? Totally, yeah. Solving hunger? Like, just Nobody does that for a genie wish. I would. Yeah. I wonder if you're not allowed to. But here's the other, yeah, you're probably not allowed to. And also here's the other thing, like, what does that even mean? World peace, you know what I mean? Right. What does that mean? Yeah. It means something different to everyone. Yeah, true. I would say world peace as it means to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so pretty strong consensus that it, even though they got tricked by this mischievous spirit, we're cutting the cord. What's the history? <laughs> the spirit lives in an Ikea lamp? Yeah, and just fucks with people. What? <laughs> yeah, I guess I wasn't thinking it, it was messing with them. So that's true. Yeah. Maybe there just needs to be some separation from the evil spirit and things will go back to normal. <laughs> no, I'm out. But because they, they didn't pick the wish, though. the par- Your partner picked that wish. Yeah, that's they were true. gonna, no. yeah. Right, you know. But, yeah. All right. So we're all cutting the cord. What does the spirit look like? Um, It looks like the leprechaun from Lucky Charm. Oh, gosh. <laughs> This is why you ask follow-up questions. <laughs> this is 100% why. Okay. Wow. Our next game. Would you forgive this liar? <laughs> what, Allison? It's what? so stupid. What? Okay. The handyman you have used for years for minor problems around your house calls you one day to tell you that they have officially become certified as a plumber. Uh-huh. So you, if you ever need him for your plumbing needs, he is now available. A few months later, you need a bunch of pipes replaced and you hire him. Once he is done, you hear him say to himself, I knew I could do it. When you confront him about this, he admits that he actually isn't certified, but knows what to do. So figure he'd just tell his clients he has the license since it's all the same anyway. Would you forgive this liar? How many years have I used him? You've been using him for seven years. Mm. And did he actually fix the problem? Yes. I don't know. One time I fixed a toilet just by looking at a YouTube tutorial. So I feel like uh, I would just be like, you didn't have to lie to me. Mm, But you would never have hired him for your plumbing work. I wouldn't have. 
No, you think, oh, this needs a plumber. And you would have gotten a plumber instead of your handyman. Well, he could have said like, he could have called and been like, hey, I actually like learned some stuff about plumbing. So let me know. Maybe I would trust it. I wouldn't. What do you think? I feel like I'm worried about like, does he, what if something goes wrong and he like hurts himself? Does he have insurance, you know, to do this? Mm. I feel like if you're like a legit business, some of that's like figured out, like you might have liability insurance and stuff. So that would be what I would be worried about. But I agree. I feel like if he had just approached me like, hey, I learned this new skill. Can I try it Mm -hmm. out? I would probably, after seven years of knowing him, let him do it. So I would be a little peeved if he, you know, lied about that to me. I I don't know if I would cut him off, though. I agree. I did not consider insurance or or how if you're able to do work on a property without a license for that work. Mm -hmm. Because anybody could just be like, I'm a carpenter. But so I don't you think can't, so. You have to be licensed you as have a to plumber. Be I looked it up for this question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, so he kind of put me in legal. He put me at legal risk, actually. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm, again, going to have to go. <laughs> My parents got a condo out here and, and they've been using this handyman who also helped out at our place. And for like 30 minutes one day, my dad just sat down talking about how incredible David is and all the things David can do. Oh, my God. I've never seen him be more blown away by another human being. That's a real that's a real Ken Raskin. (laughs) Okay, our final game. Are you a terrible parent? Mm. Your child nine Uh wants an ice cream cake at their birthday party even though they're lactose intolerant. Oh my God. You agree, but remind them that they have to take their lactose pills before eating it. Normally you would remind them, but you have to deal with a party related crisis right when the cake is cut. So you give them the pills, but don't make sure they take them. Your child gets distracted and forgets to take the pills, which causes them to have very loud and smelly farts. (laughs) They end up getting so embarrassed, they send everyone home early. (laughs) Are you a terrible parent? I feel like you're not terrible. Like, you know, stuff slips people's minds a lot. And when you've got like a busy situation like that, that's kind of understandable. But I guess I'm not really sure, like, how serious is it that the lactose pills weren't given? Like, is it more than just gas? Is he going to get sick from this or... No, it's just gas. But now it's like just like one of the most humiliating moments of their entire life that they had to end their birthday party early because their farts were so smelly. <laughs> How much money did I lose on this party? Um, I mean, they only ended it like an hour early. You're concerned about the monetary loss? Yeah, I throw a huge party. Maybe I've hired like a prince, an Elsa impersonator. Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I, these parties are expensive. I, I, uh, I think, why, I just, why didn't they take them? They got distracted. Okay. So I, as a parent, maybe have to look into that. I would say at nine years old, you're not a terrible parent because a nine-year-old should be able to do that. Yeah, right. If your kid was like four. Right. Then I think you're a terrible parent. Yeah. <laughs> like also, like, why didn't I just get like a non-dairy ice cream cake? Like Those what? are disgusting. No, stop it. Yes, they're bad. No. Look, Melissa agrees with me, right? No. Though you think non-dairy ice cream is good? Yeah. Really? Why not? I've never had good never non-dairy had ice cream. I mean, cream. just, I don't know. I am tr- I don't know. I'm all turned around. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm still thinking about the Ikea lamp genie. <laughs> and 
like and like now I'm like how if I saw a genie how would I know that it's not a mischievous yeah spirit? How do I know <laughs> yeah I'd ask for some credentials right I take the which risk. you should also do with the plumber yes that is the good point the moral of the this moral. story is ask for credentials. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people follow you and find out more about your work and kitty cats? Yeah, I'm on social media as Maui's, M-A-U-E-Y-E-S. And my website is Maui's.com. So feel free to follow me. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about Christmas content. Ho, ho, ho. Just between us, it's time for topics. X, 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 baby, baby, baby. Oh, not giving us much today, no. Melissa. All right, keeping not- it real neutral. <laughs> not in the holiday spirit, I see. <laughs> ho, 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 ho. So I picked this topic because, as a Jewish person, I've never like. I don't know, like I've never had like, oh, a time of year where I return to a certain type of content, which I think you have, Gabby, with Halloween. But um, I don't have like a time of year where it's like, ah, now it is time for me to watch blank type of Hanukkah, Hanukkah movies. Like I don't have anything (laughs) like that. And so I wanted to talk to you, Melissa, about like what it's like to like, do you return to the same things every year? Like, why do people do this? Is it just like great comfort in it? Well, you've asked the wrong Christian. <laughs> I um do not like decorating for Christmas. Wow. I hate putting up a tree. Mm, really? I've, I've never put one up in Los you Angeles. You know what? Because the background on your phone is the motherfucking Grinch. Always. And that's baby what Grinch. you are. You're a Grinch. You're a baby Grinch. I like Christmas on the day and that's it. I do oh. not believe in this wow. extended holiday season. Really? Yes. Okay, if I may chime in, mm-hmm. as someone who is a Halloween gay, uh, I like returning to the same content. I like the coziness of like, it's autumn, it's time for Halloween, spooky season. I love that. So I can see, I'm not even, I didn't grow up with any Christmas. I didn't grow up with like anything related to Christmas, but I totally understand like the the vibe of being like it's time for the Christmas movies like like I love Nightmare Before Christmas mm-hmm. to me that's a Halloween movie it, it could is. also be a Christmas movie but there's like Hanukkah stuff that I return to like the Rugrats Hanukkah special mm-hmm. oh really we, we watched that last year by the way okay as a child I thought the Rugrats Hanukkah special was a full movie we went back and watched it last year it's a 22 minute episode of television. That's but, it. But but think about it in the way that the episodes are, because the episodes are only like per episode. There's two different plots per episode. Yeah. So the Hanukkah one lasts the whole 22 minutes when oh. opposed to a regular episode. It was like 10 minutes per. I was episode, quote unquote. Absolutely shaken uh-huh. to realize it was only 22 minutes. <laughs> absolutely shaken. And then, you know, we have like Adam Sandler's Eight Crazy Nights. But we really do. We have that. I've never even seen that. <laughs> we did. Also, it was fully not Passover, but we watched Prince of Egypt just to sort of like have something. As a kid growing up, uh, once I started like late elementary school into you know as I got older, we we did uh, do stuff for Hanukkah. We did. We had like big Hanukkah parties. We did the candles. We did um, you know presents. 
Uh, I remember all the girls on my street went to this one school called Nativity and they were all um, Christian and they had big displays on their houses for um, Christmas. And I was like really sad. And so my dad put up these like blue and white lights on the house. But I also like remember my mom sort of being like, oh, well, but that's like kind of giving in to like doing what Christians do. You know what I mean? Like, because I feel like, okay, Hanukkah was not that popular of a holiday. But then once Christmas became a juggernaut, we were like, Jews were like, fuck, we got to have That was when something. it started overlapping because now yeah. the Christmas yeah. season overlaps. Yeah. Oh, and so we yeah. were like, oh, we got to give something because kids, Jewish kids are going to see Christmas and be like, hello, I want that. What about me? So then we started making Hanukkah more and more like Christmas, but it's not, <laughs> it wasn't. Like we just sort of started mirroring Christmas in order to make Hanukkah something that seemed fun and cool. I guess for me, it's like funny that like you would have this favorite movie or this favorite thing that you like to watch. And then you're like, but I can only watch it this month. <laughs> like, you know, because you want to get into the spirit. Yeah. I'm a firm believer that Christmas should only exist on Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like we need to enjoy the other holidays. Like I laugh about how Mariah Carey always does like, well, not always in the last few years. The day as soon as it hits midnight on November 1st, she's smashing a pumpkin or like <laughs> right now this year she was riding a Peloton into <laughs> into Christmas. It's like every now it's like her thing. Like it's her On season. November 1st? No, as soon as midnight hits, she posted. Yeah. That's Halloween. And, Halloween. And, and so like because people like start like getting in the mood and she's and she'll go up like the days leading up to Halloween. She's saying it's not time yet. Not time. <laughs> not time. And then like she goes it's time and then hits a high note and then christmas the chokehold mariah carey has the on christmas money that she has on christmas but oh, like oh yeah for me i don't think that the the holiday season officially starts until i hear her song in the wild it can't be like someone just playing it i mm -hmm. need to hear it in the wild somewhere yeah like in but, a store yeah or the yeah yes the history of christmas is kind of wild because it's, it's like pagan. It's a pagan holiday so about like most, a weird most, demon. Most, <laughs> hol most holidays are like derived yeah, from yeah. paganism. Well, and Santa is like um is like a like a demon or something, well, isn't he? Well, you're talking about Krampus. Krampus. That's a I thought thing. Christmas was Jesus's birthday. I mean, it it that's it what is. it became. Yeah, uh, but it's not even his actual birthday. What? Yes. And then what? Easter is when he's he's risen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Yeah, being engaged to a like a Catholic man who like knows a lot about Catholicism, I realize I know nothing about Christianity. Even that I'm even he's even like, well, when you say Christianity, what do you mean? I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Catholicism is wild. Catholicism yeah. is like it's like it's technically sexy, it's, it's Christmas. Dark. I mean, no, sorry, yeah. I'm sorry, it's Christian, but like they like they like to do their own thing. Yeah, they're up to lots of stuff. There's <laughs> like, like a lot of like mysticism <laughs> and like yeah. like intellectual debate and like they weren't considered white until like 1960. I mean, like, a lot of people weren't crazy. considered white until they were. It was like a huge deal that JFK was Catholic. It was mm -hmm. like I know when I went to visit deal. when I went to visit my boarding school, they were like JFK went here because we were the only ones that would accept the Catholic. Wild. My mom used to get very annoyed by how Christmas was like so permeating everything, like you said, at the grocery store, like everywhere and how Hanukkah was like nothing. I went to Target with the guy I'm dating and we uh, were looking at like there was like so much Christmas stuff. And then there was like one shelf that was Hanukkah stuff. 
And the shell, and I realized, I was like, what is this? And I picked it up and it was like a little gnome with like a Hanukkah hat on it. And I was like, this is weird. Like there's nothing in our mythology about like elves or gnomes. Like, what is this? And then I went and I went one aisle over and it was a Christmas gnome, the exact gnome, just with a different hat. And I was like, oh, so what happened was they made these gnomes or like elves for Christmas. And then they were just like made a different hat. And then we're like, Hanukkah? Was it blue? Yeah. And also it was like blue and it had a big Jewish star on it. And for some reason I was like, I don't know why this feels anti-Semitic, but it does. When you said it, like something about like a gnome, just a little gnome with a big Jewish star on it. I was like, "Mm, I don't know. Like, I know it's not, but I do feel uncomfortable holding this. Okay, great. I was feeling the same way, but I was just waiting for you to say it. No, it was like, but it was like one, one shelf with like blue and yellow and white stuff. And it felt like the makers of it were like, uh, like didn't, but I mean, there's all these other people who aren't Jewish or Christian who ha- who like don't get any, you know, like yeah. it's not like you're like seeing like Buddha with a little hat on right. around G- December. Yeah. So it's interesting that like Judaism has been sort of like lumped into the December spirit when like there's no real reason for and it. And then to they be. put Kwanzaa and they were like, Kwanzaa, it's for black people. And I was like, I what? Like, I, I feel like this. I don't know anything about Kwanzaa and I'm probably going to get in trouble, but I feel like, I feel like they promoted Kwanzaa to be like some, to separate black people out from Christians no, and like how white Christians are like, so like what Jesus was white and like Christmas is white. That is not true. At it's all. not. Okay. No, I no, got it, nervous that it was not, like white people being weird. No, it was, it was created by black people okay, thank and God. specifically black American people. Okay. Phew. And it's its own thing that really has nothing to do with Christmas. I know. Why is it's just it around like, the same time? Yeah. Yeah. That's like Hanukkah. Yeah. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Do you have a favorite yes. Christmas movie? And it's not technically a Christmas movie, but it came out on Christmas. So therefore, it's my favorite Christmas movie. I have two. What? what? Well, the first one came out on Christmas. One of them does have Christmas te- themes. What is it? Dream Girls. Oh, which okay. came out on Christmas in like 2016. I That's think. fun. Ooh. I love Dream and Girls. And then the other one is Mean Girls. Those are the movies that okay. we watch. Those are the yeah. movies in the Mont's household that we watch on Christmas. I love that. Oh, wow. I mean, as I get older, I do really understand like the power of ritual and the power yeah. of like of like a separation between the days of of life and like yeah. seasons. And so I do get like why it is fun to have this Christmas season. Um, but I think, it, I think like the amount of like Christmas movies is like very adorable. They're all written by <laughs> Jews. Jews write them. They're all written by Jews. Same with a lot of the Christmas songs, song by Jews. All written by Jews. Like the famous ones. Yeah. Really? Jews. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's so good. Um, I will say, so when I was like six, my dad found his biological dad. I didn't know anything about Christmas. My dad found his biological dad using a private investigator and he was Christian. And we went out to Arizona to like visit him and we were there for Christmas and I had never celebrated Christmas before. And um, my family, they all went and stayed at a hotel, but I stayed with him, which we don't have time to unpack. And I didn't say that. And it was Christmas and I don't know how they pulled this off or what they did. I don't know. But I was like kind of sleeping. And then I heard like sleigh bells and walking on the roof, which I'm going to assume was Virgil's other son, David, doing it. And I was like, oh, my. And then the next morning, there was a letter that was like, Dear Gabrielle, uh, this is Santa. I know you're Jewish, but I wanted to leave you some presents anyway. And I was like hype as shit about it. And then much later, I said to my mom, like, it's so cute that you wrote that because I was clearly my mom. But I was like, 
it's so cute that you wrote that letter from Santa to me. Like, it's so adorable. And she was like, I copied it out of a magazine. (laughs) She said there was like a good housekeeping article, like, like a letter from Santa to your Jewish child in case you're doing that this year. Like, this is what you could write. And she was like, I don't think that that makes it less special. I don't think so either. That's so cute. Like thought went into it. It was a template. We all look up templates now online anyway. Me too. Yeah. I was telling everyone who would listen. I was like six. I was going around being like, okay, I'm Jewish, but like I heard Santa. (laughs) And like it was real. I when I was a little kid, I waited on line to be on Santa's lap. I don't know why. And then when I got on his lap, he was like, what would you like for Christmas? And I said, I'm Jewish. Why did I do that whole thing? Because you're you and you tell on yourself. Yeah, yeah. You're like, I don't want to ask for something because it's not, I I know that you're, <laughs> you're not for me. Yeah. But even like Santa isn't like a Christian thing. It's just part of Christmas. Like, yeah. Santa has nothing to do with. Baby. Yeah. yeah. But now, I, now I, I'm going to be celebrating Christmas. Yeah. Hopefully till I'm dead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll I celebrate Christmas Hanukkah Kwanzaa. Yeah, exactly. Christmas, <laughs> as the OC called it. Yeah, well, I had added in Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa. Like, if you actually. Old Navy did. That's where I got it from. Oh, Old Navy. <laughs> okay, what do we rate this episode? Old Navy has really good Christmas commercials, actually. Anyway, okay. Oh, the one with Jennifer Coolidge. That's out now. Anyway, okay. Uh, I rate it 11 out of 10 mums. Ooh, I will rate it. Um, 47 out of 32 purrs. The trilling. I was going to meow, but um, I'll rate it uh, 40 out of 30 mischievous demons or whatever that thing was. <laughs> Pretending to be genies. <laughs> oh my God, horrifying. Thank you to Dr. Kristen Vitale for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond Monts. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Tracy Soren. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or on our channel, youtube.com slash show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, at Allison Raskin, at She Is Not Melissa, at Gabby Road, Emotional Support Lady Substack, Patreon.com slash Gabby Dunn, and also Allison's book, Overthinking About You. Go and leave a Goodreads or an Amazon review. Um, you can also go to Scribd and see my book, Stimulus Rack. But Allison's, give them reviews. Okay, bye! Forever! <laughs> Dog!